Good morning. Today is Sunday, November 19, 2017. We're at the Fount Church. Through the Bible Sunday School class, we've been studying Second Chronicles, and we're going to pick it up today quite quickly at chapter 7, verse 16. I'll open us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time we have together today, even though it is short. We thank you for fellowship. We thank you for friends. We thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. May it be so today. Write it on our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the whole study of the temple, you could just take it at face value. It was a beautiful structure, gold inlaid, bejeweled, and just leave it at that, like, you know, the Taj Mahal or any other, you know, kind of amazing building. But the reason I think it is most important for us in our studies is that um, it shows us that the way to God had not been fully made yet. We have this holy place where he dwells, and only the high priest, after many rituals and sacrifices, could go in once a year. Um, and Hebrews will actually tell us, and I was having this thought I'll share with you on the way to church about that, but if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, talking about the first covenant, we kind of almost sometimes see the old covenant as better than our covenant. And the reason we feel like that is, you know, to see the Shekinah glory come and indwell a physical location, that must have been pretty amazing. Um, but at, at Hebrews 12 at verse 18, it says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, you know, referring to Moses receiving the law on Mount Sinai, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. And it was the same that only the high priest could go in. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels. You know, we talked about how the curtains and everything had cherubim all embroidered. These must have been amazing curtains. We had these gigantic cherubim on either side of the ark. It was placed in the holy place, holiest place. And we don't see the angels around us. And what innumerable angels have we come to? I don't see any angels. I see the Darches and the Olsons and Peggy. What's angels? They're all around us right now. And that's the thing that we have to have for this dispensation is faith. Until we're fully in. You know, I uh, teared up a couple of times over Pastor Don Boger, I have to tell you. But then I thought about his happiness right now. And... He's worshiping right now, and he's completely happy. Yeah. And um, he's really seeing the innumerable angels mm-hmm. in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn. He's with the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that blood of Abel. The blood of our Savior speaks better word than the blood of bulls and goats. 
See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So we haven't seen that yet, but there will be a shaking, and when it happens, people will know. So it's hard to keep the old covenant in perspective because it was a grand thing. And we're going to read about the queen of Sheba coming. And then I, what what I was thinking about in the car was about being raised a Catholic. And one thing I will say about Catholicism, it was almost like they wanted to bring this all back because the mass, the regular parishioner couldn't touch the host transubstantiation it was christ's body so only the priest could touch it before vatican ii the priest faced away from the people because he was up there in the holy place with god and we were back in the pews the sinners and you would go up to receive communion you couldn't touch anything um i think they wanted a solemnness and a reverence And I think you'll see that in Catholics, that they have that, because it was almost a quasi-Levitical priesthood. But, and to me, when I first went to Protestant churches, everything seemed so casual to me by comparison. Everything casual and kids running on the altar and everything. And I'm just like, what? You would never do that in a Catholic church. There are not kids running on the altar. Okay. that wasn't... But what I'm saying is... We're in the better covenant, and Scripture tells us that. But there's something about us. I don't know if it's our idolatrous natures, but we want to set up something beautiful and go worship. I remember when George was the head of the worship committee, when he first came to this church, one of the biggest deals was the screen coming down and covering the cross. Mm -hmm. And people were just so upset about that. Because what? Yeah. You know, now we have, you know, the two things on the side, technology better <laughs> and projection with a yeah. screen. But there's that thing in us that we want to see and have the solemnity, the gold inlay, the embroidered curtains. We like that. That's why we like to decorate for Christmas. And we like that. Yeah. But maybe what we celebrate and decorate is this presence of the Lord. And have solemn reverence for that, that his spirit fall in a service mm-hmm. and that he flows, that people's hearts are convicted of sin and that they answer the call to come to the Savior because we don't make these decisions without the spirit of grace. So that's what I was thinking. And it's like, you you know, the Jewish people want to bring all that back that in Jerusalem and everything. Mm-hmm. Just build that temple again. Let's go back to what was good. But that was just a shadow. Remember, we read all those scriptures last week of of things in the heavenlies, Christ trying to portray them. And he was the center. And now that he has come, we don't want to go back to that. No more bulls offering for sin. That's over. We have the offering for sin, the mediator, the intercessor. And remember, the uh Epistles tell us that he came the first time to deal with sin, the second time to receive those who love his appearing. So right at verse 16, for now I have chosen and consecrated this house. So this is the dedication in the middle of chapter 7. And um, this is 
the Lord speaking, that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. You can do a study about the being of God. Does he have eyes and ears and heart and his arm is not shortened that it cannot save. So he must have arms and let this mind be in you. That was in Christ Jesus. Well, we know we were made in his image, but um, I'm reading this book right now called the um, enjoying God written by RC Sproul about all the attributes of God. But when he talks about God's self existence, he said, you know, the main thing we have in common with God is being. We are, we am, we do, we have being. The thing that makes us different from God is he's self-existent, never was created as we are, and our beingness is in his hand. In him I live and move and have my being. You take, you know, our, our being can leave us, and we know we can put off this tent. Mm-hmm. And we're not in control of that. So he said, that's what makes us different from God is that our being is controlled by him. Mm -hmm. His being is not controlled by anybody. For now I have chosen consecrated this house. My eyes and heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David, your father walked, these verses sound so like Deuteronomy when Moses is giving the people the final lessons you will walk like David, your father walked. And what was that? Doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules. Then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David, your father, saying you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. Well, the Lord was faithful to that promise to David, even though David's sons were not obedient We know the kingdom will be lost at 586. But the very end of Revelation, you know, that's the end of the story. You don't want to forget that as as Revelation is talking about the Lord at chapter 22, the last chapter, the last few verses, It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The faithfulness to David to the end. When the Lord makes a promise, his promises, he's steadfast, he's sure, even when we break the promise. So David's descendants were not faithful to him. And you can read about some of those later kings. We had a few, Hezekiah, Josiah, but we had a lot of not keeping the Lord's rules and statutes. But yet he still identifies himself as a descendant of David. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. That's why David just went into the temple, marveled, you know, and said, you've talked, you've spoken of my house, or he went before the ark, I should say, into the tent for many years to come. We're going to come up on that. It's in two Chronicles, I think, two. One Chronicle, 17. That's where it is. One Chronicle, 17. Then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I've set before you, and you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from the land that I have given you. And this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. 
and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. Now, you know it was on the Lord's will that that temple be destroyed. And you know that they had another one, came back and rebuilt under Ezra and Nehemiah, but that one was even beautified by Herod. It was destroyed too. Um, God doesn't want that temple. Um, then I will pluck you up from this land that I've given you in this house that I have consecrated. I will cast out of my sight, make it a proverb. And at, the, and at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they brought them out of the land of, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods. Remember, that is the first commandment. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. So that is the national sin. That's why we're afraid of our own country, because this is what our country has done. They have abandoned the Lord and laid hold on other gods. Yeah. That maybe answers my question then. Why is God allowing that, that uh, what is it, other, other temple on top of what should be the Jewish temple? What nationality is that? The mosque. Thank you, yes. The dome, of the dome of the mosque yeah. or something like that. The Dome of the Rock, the of the Rock. Dome, yeah. yeah. And isn't that where the Wailing Wall is, too? Yes, yeah. down below. Down below yeah. It. yeah. <clears throat> but I'm thinking, why would God keep that there? Well, maybe that's why. He mm-hmm. is keeping it there mm-hmm. for his yeah. own purpose, yeah. I'm sure the Muslim world thinks that they have conquered the yeah. God of the Jews because exactly. they have their spot. Right. Okay. Yeah. Always foolish to think these things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we don't want to hold on to other gods and worship them and serve them. And we know for some reason that when a nation prospers, and we're going to see that Solomon, the nation really prospered, um, it seems that they're paired up. You prosper a man and he's faced with a decision. Do I abandon the Lord or or am I going to hold on to other gods? And um, it's just a, a sad thing. It's good to have enough for your needs, but when you have more than you need... Sometimes it can be bad. And um, so we're going to see the nation will really prosper under Solomon, but it will be very short-lived, this unified kingdom. It will divide very quickly. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. Another thing is, is that people kind of know, even if they say, "Ah, I've never had the gospel preached to me. I don't know what the gospel is. But they pass by and they're going to say, hey, we know this happened because this people abandoned their God. Mm-hmm. How do people, pagan people, know this? Yeah. See, that's why when was it Belshazzar who took the temple uh, vessels and brought them into his own orgy, and they were oh. they were sort of given the finger to God, yeah, thinking, yeah. "Oh, we'll show you piss on him. Yeah. I'll just drink out of this and have an orgy." The golden temples used in the worship service. Yeah. And the Lord said, really? And there's the hand. Yes. (laughs) At the end of 20 years in which Solomon had built the house, so 20 years, fast forward, Solomon rebuilt the cities that Hiram had given to him and settled the people of Israel there. And he went to Hamath Zobah and took it. Tadmor in the wilderness. You can see he's expanding. Built up upper Beth Haron and lower Beth Haron. Fortified cities with walls, gates, bars. Baleth and all the store cities that Solomon had, and all the cities for his chariots, and the cities for his horsemen, 
And whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, Lebanon, all the land of his dominion, and all the people who were left of the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, who were not of Israel, from their descendants who were left after them in the land whom the people of Israel had not destroyed, these Solomon drafted as forced labor. And so they are to this day, but of the people of Israel, Solomon made no slaves for his work. They were soldiers, officers, commanders of his chariots and his horsemen. And these were the chief officers of King Solomon, 250 who exercised authority over the people. Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the house that he had built for her. For he said, my wife shall not live in the house of David, king of Israel, for the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. So there she was, daughter of one of the most powerful nations, but a Gentile. But a Gentile. And Solomon felt that where the ark was, she couldn't be. Isn't that interesting? I'm wondering if she rebelled to that, but we know that marriage was very different back then. Women with not many wives. What? I'm not good enough for your God. Can you... Yeah. I'm going to give you a nice house, but no, you're not a Jew. You do not know our Lord. So the way had not been made for that yet either, that Gentiles who had helped build this temple would also be brought in. But here you have it. And we also know that by marrying her to be in alliance with Egypt, you have to know that her court, notice they don't give her name. Maybe they gave it somewhere, but here they don't give her name. She must have had maids of honor who were, or maids of whatever they call them, your, yeah. that served you. Maids in waiting. Maids in waiting, yeah. They must have been pagans. They probably worshiped their pagan gods from Egypt. And Egypt mm -hmm. had a lot of pagan gods. Yeah. But Solomon, you don't hear of him putting that down. And you will not only not live, but you will accept our God and live under our covenant following our rules. And we know that that's one of the flaws in Solomon that was women, pagan women. Then Solomon offered up burnt offerings to the Lord. I think we're running out of time. On the altar that he had built. And I'm going to just say one thing. As the duty of each day required offering according to the commandment of Moses for the Sabbath, new moons, and the three annual feasts. So we want to remind you of the three annual feasts. You can go back into Exodus and Leviticus. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, okay, that was connected to the Passover. And, you know, Jesus was crucified on Passover. And when they were hurrying to get his body down, remember, it was so they could celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that celebrates God's deliverance of his people. He delivered them out of Egypt, and it mirrors our deliverance from sin. The next one, the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Feast of Harvest. And in New Testament times, we refer to the Feast of Weeks as Pentecost. Commemorates the giving of the law at Sinai, and the New Testament celebrates the giving of the Spirit, the 50th day after the Sabbath of the Passover week. And the third one, the Feast of Booths, which is where I'll leave it, um, had three other, uh, two other names, the Feast of Ingathering or Feast of Tabernacles. They're all the same. And um, that one, uh, uh, well, one verse about that, the Feast of Tabernacles, Revelation 21.3, that's the third feast and the most important one because God tabernacles with men. Oh. 
Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles was depicting. So we don't want to go back and celebrate that and build little booths unless it helps us. But that's what that feast was about, that we and God will one day dwell together. So I know I'm out of time. Maybe um, Dennis would close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together and studying your word. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you especially be with our worship service today as we try to reach out to others and learn more about you. And Lord, we just thank you for Vicki's time in this uh, class that she spends preparing it and teaches the word. And we ask that we keep our open hearts to listen to your word and apply it to our daily lives. And we ask that you be with those that are absent from the class today, and especially with George, as he is still returning from his trip, taking care. So, Lord, we just thank you again. And let us praise the Lord and go forth from here and spread your word. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thomas. Do you want that phone? Do you need that phone? You have been listening to Bible study verse by verse with Vicki Mulak. For more of these podcasts and some resources, please go to our website at www.biblestudyvbv.org. O-R-G. That's www.biblestudy. V is in Victor, B is in boy, V is in Victor. The VBV stands for verse by verse. .org, O-R-G. There you can register and contact us or just leave a comment. We welcome your feedback. Thank you. This is George Mulek.